0: Welcome to to Every Generation the Broadcast Ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields located in Jamesburg, New Jersey where we teach through the entire Bible verse by verse and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God.
1: So this morning we're going to be in Matthew chapter 25. The last time we looked at the parable of the expectant and faithful servants and today we're going to look at the parable of the ten virgins which really is is similar expectancy readiness in a spiritual sense uh, readiness in terms of christ's second coming which he spoke a lot about and um, to be because here he's speaking of believers when, when he would share the parable sometimes it would be just the open air crowds and other times it would just be the followers, that they followed him to a remote place and he would speak these parables. So it's believed that in this parable he's speaking to purported followers, purported believers. And he wanted to make sure they understand that when you're in Christianity, which really wasn't a thing yet, but you, you don't do it for the benefits you get out of a church or the benefits you get out of Christianity when we follow Jesus, are we really his? Because part of the parable has to do with, in the end, the fake or false believers or make-believers will be separated from the true believers. Now, if we look at context here, we find that Jesus is speaking about the fig tree, he's speaking about the days of Noah, he's speaking about two servants. Context is very important because false teachers will never use context and they'll just take scripture out of, out of context. But he was making sure his followers were eternity-minded. The things he spoke about were eschatologically based. In other words, they focused on end things. And you know, in this world, it's almost like I'm seeing more and more wrong is right, right is wrong. It really is opposite world. You know, you could go to, and people throw the word cult around. If you talk about the end times and you talk about the Lord's return... The odd thing is those that are entrenched in either a denomination or a religion and don't have a relationship with the Lord, they don't want to hear the Lord's teachings. The most curious thing I've ever found is when I'm trying to witness to somebody who's a, and denominations are not bad, Calvary is technically a denomination, but those that are entrenched in these things, a lot of times they're put off by the teachings of Christ, especially the the parables, which is very strange. Jesus and Peter and John and Paul all spoke about the Lord's return, um, just as much as what he was doing when he was presently there. But Jesus always wanted his followers to keep the kingdom in their mind. And Jesus often started in verse 1, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like in two. The kingdom of heaven is like. The kingdom of heaven. And he would constantly use these physical illustrations that the people could see to convey a spiritual truth to them. And that was the blessing. So as we go through this, we'll see the eternity mindedness of the Lord and how He wants His followers to be that way as well. You know, even when we talk about suffering, suffering is a perspective issue. Now, I'm not trying to be flippant or cavalier. My wife and I have lost loved ones. We've had heartbreak. We've had trials. We've had. You know, just all kinds of stuff, especially in ministry. So I'm with you when it comes to sufferings and trials. But there's two ways to look at it. We could look at it from a worldly perspective. God could have done this, and he didn't. God, he, he, he's either an impotent God or he's an uncaring God. Or you could look at it from a spiritual perspective, suffering. And I have to remind myself when I go through suffering, is that God, this world is a mess. It's a cesspool. All you have to do is go home and look on cable news or read the paper, and you start reading the articles, and that's just, you know, in our little sphere. But there's all kinds of things going on in the world. It's really a sad place. So, in God's mind, He sent His Son into the world to die for our sins and really to be like a life raft or a life preserver. And I think of, you know, when you see neighborhoods get flooded and and they're holding on to a tree and, and the chopper comes. And they're so excited because they drop that cable and they can grab onto that and it takes them to safety. It takes them to drier ground. And Jesus is like that chopper. This world is dying. It's drowning because of sin, because of what humans have done to this world and God's creation. And what God did was he sent his life preserver, his life raft into the world to take us out of here. See, the false teachers and the prosperity people say, you can have your utopia here. But that was never God's intention. You can't mix the, the grievous sinfulness and a utopian kingdom of God together. God will come again, and he'll remake everything. And it's going to be awesome. We see glimpses of it in Revelation and Isaiah and, and other prophet prophetic books. So, Again, how do we look at things? Unfortunately, the the Scripture twisters and the worldly and material Christians lend to this false picture of a utopia on earth. But it's not so. So let's jump in. Verse 1. Then the kingdom of heaven, Jesus is teaching, shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them. But the wise took oil in their vessels with the lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight a cry was heard, Behold, the bridegroom is coming, go out to meet him. Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps, and the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No lest there should not be enough for us and you, but rather go to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also, saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you do not know, for you know neither, the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Now, again, some go to a a ministry or watch a ministry and scripture is never read. Just a a verse here and there taken out of context. So you read this parable and and some are perplexed. Wow, Jesus told this? It seems kind of mean. So the five, the ones who were called smart, were greedy. They didn't want to share their oil. And the bridegroom, who's a picture of Jesus, shuts the door on the foolish ones and says, you can't come in? That's mean. Well, that's mean if you don't understand what he's saying. Remember, the parables are spiritual applications. Not necessarily, the the only thing about the physical part was to draw you in and to help you understand the situation and then transfer you from the physical to the spiritual. To understand this better, we have to understand the culture. All right? What were weddings like back then? So I've got to take you back 2,000 years, go to the Middle East, and let's look at the customs. Because today, what's marriage like? Or the dating process? You date. Some people date for years and years and years. And then they get engaged. And, well, it's a three-year engagement or five years. Listen, I'm not criticizing anybody. To, to each his own. Um, you could you know, elope and not tell anybody and just disappear and come back married, tell all your friends and family, or, heck, I know somebody after their fourth marriage, they went to Las Vegas and got married by Elvis. I mean, so (laughs) the sky's the limit. You do what you want in this culture. Well, let's go back to the Hebrew culture and check this out. There were three stages to getting married. The first one was engagement. And this involved the families, too. Now, this didn't happen 100% of the time, and there were reasons why it couldn't happen 100% of the time, but these were the moors of the land. So engagement was really an agreement made between both families. Two was the betrothal. Mary was betrothed to Joseph. We read that in the Gospels. The betrothal was mutual promises between the soon-to-be bride and groom. They thought this through. The third was the final part of it was the wedding party or the marriage. And this was one year later. And the groom did a lot of work. Normally what he would do is put an extension on his father's house or if his father's house was big enough, he would make everything nice. He would set up for the the wedding party. Um, He would do all this work. And he was so excited that he would just come back. It could have been at 4 in the morning, 3 in the morning, 2 in the morning. And everybody had to be ready. He would come back for his bride and take her, whisk her away, and they would have this party that lasted for days and the two of them hopefully lived happily ever after. And both the male and the female in that culture, not always, but oftentimes were virgins. Now what does all this mean? Well let's look at the symbolism. Well the bridegroom is Christ. The ten virgins, ten signifies many people. And they were in two camps. Five were in the wise camp and five were in the foolish camp based on their behavior and their lack of preparedness or preparedness. The concept of, again, of virginity was common because you were focused, you know, you would come of age and you would focus and they would get married young, focus on your betrothed. Now, the virgins in the story are a picture Of purported or perceived believers, those that called themselves later on Christians. But we'll find out in the end that not all of them are believers. Not all of them are true believers. Now some interpretations, and I don't don't split hairs, I don't argue about this, some have the uh, virgins as collectively the bride of Christ, the five smart ones, wise ones. Some have all ten of them as just really the bridesmaids and they weren't they weren't. None of them were the bride. I subscribe to the former one. I believe that it's a picture of the church collectively. This is important, and I have to sprinkle in apologetics. I have to sprinkle in doctrine at times. But if you read this wrong, you could see polygamy. And that's what the cults do. Cults love to do this. They'll find obscure passages, you know, usually like even one verse, and they'll make a whole doctrine out of it. And there are those today that say, we're polygamous, We have multiple wives, and we're Christian. Uh, no, you're not. <laughs> it's a false doctrine. Okay? One of the rules of parable exegesis is not to stretch the meanings too far to where it becomes ridiculous. Jesus had a main point that he was trying to convey, and that's really spiritual preparedness with respect to one's salvation. Are we truly his? Now, collectively, the church, our church... The church, over the, all the continents of the planet. Um, eventually we all are collectively the bride of Christ. He's seen as the, the groom. He died for our sins. He loved us first. He loved us sacrificially and we respond collectively as the bride of Christ. But we also as individual, we can see ourselves that way as well. All right, you know, even when you look at the Lord's dissertation of marriage in heaven when the sadducees asked them ridiculous questions he would say you don't understand what it's like in heaven how does marriage transfer to heaven how does the the woman who's very healthy um unfortunately she marries a a man and he's not and he dies and she marries another man and he dies and she's got three or four husbands and she goes to heaven which one do i choose jesus like you don't understand it's not like that you're trying to take physical illustrations and make a connection there. Okay? The wedding, Revelation 19, the marriage supper of the Lamb, our final habitation as believers. Right? We, and that's, that's going to be a great thing. The oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit, it can also be a picture of the Word of God in our lives. Philippians 2.16 says that we hold fast. That word can mean to detain the word of life. Right? We detain God's word in our hearts. You know, we live by God's word. One could make the application that the lights from the lamps okay, can in the darkness can represent the light of Christ and how we you know, radiate God's love, the, 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 a reflection of Jesus to the world, or that's the ideal situation. Verse 3, five foolish virgins had no oil with their lamps. And if you look at the symbolism, they were not saved, but they had an appearance of salvation. They had the lamps. So one could see the ten virgins walking, you know, this illustration. And they were all young ladies. They were all virgins. They probably all dressed the same way. And they all had lamps. And one can look at that, just like the church. You can look at the collective church and say, I don't know, they go to church, they must be believers. Now again, this is important. This isn't for us to be the the who's really a believer police. And like I said before, look at each other and scrutinize. The Lord knows who are his and who aren't. And when we preach the gospel, it's for those who know that they don't have a relationship with the Lord to repent and to have a relationship with the Lord. It isn't for an overbearing or over-authoritarian church to scrutinize people and scrutinize their walk and and judge them, because we can't judge them, right? What if you read the parable and you say, you know, I fall into the camp of the foolish virgins. Don't feel shame. God's working in your heart. Well, how do I receive Christ as my Lord and Savior? And we always give that opportunity. You see, the most diabolical thing that Satan can do, and we see this in the parable of the tares, is to take false believers with nefarious purposes. And what he usually does is he, he sows them in good churches. Because the best thing that Satan can do is make the church look ugly to the world so nobody desires a walk with the Lord. And he does that. We've read that in the parable of the wheat and the tares. right? Something to know, something to understand. Verse 5, The bridegroom is delayed. And what does that mean? Well, it means that if you look at it in a spiritual sense, we could say that the Lord's delayed today. How come he didn't come back today? It's his timing. And this is very important because, again, the cults, the cults try to emulate true Christianity as close as possible. And when we look at this, we see that we're really not to set dates. And I could go through a, a list of a dozen false uh, organizations that call themselves christians that have set dates for the lord's return false teaching deuteronomy 13 deuteronomy 18 okay so we and i would never set a date because the lord tells me not to i have to be obedient to what he says i don't have inside information nobody does but we are to know the times and the seasons see there's the difference we look at the geopolitics of the world we look at what's going on in the middle east we look at maybe some of the tensions between nations. We look at nuclear proliferation and we say, wow, we're getting close. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing weird. Just don't set dates. That's weird. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Um, All these false teachers, we're still here. So all these people that predicted all these weird dates, and they've come and they've gone, nobody should be following them. Right? Because God says not to. The virgins slumbered and slept. Again, we don't know. We don't know when the Lord's return is. None of us know. Verse 6, it says, At midnight a cry was heard. That can be translated in the Greek, an outcry or a tumult. And in First Thessalonians 4.16, when the Lord does come for his, his church, his believers in First Thessalonians, it says this, the Apostle Paul, For the Lord will descend with a shout, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. And those who remain will be caught up in the air and the clouds to meet them. And the Lord. Pretty neat. Now again, the culture, the groom took the bride back to his father's house. That he prepared a room for he and her. He, so it's funny because back then we hear the term nesting. We usually attribute it to the woman today. Well, it was the man back then who did the nesting. You know? My wife's laughing back there because she's the decorator. She'd come back and said, no, 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 these colors don't, they don't, they don't work together. But, uh, so it's cool, I'm good with that. I'm not much of a nester. Uh, but back then, the man was the nester, the groom was the nester. And Jesus Christ is nesting right now, because he's preparing a place. This is all over John chapter 14, right? Jesus speaking to his believers. He's also, by extension, speaking to us. He's the He's delayed. So guess what? There's a, there's a place prepared for Joe DeProsimo and James Moore and everybody else and Corey Hoagland and everybody else who's a believer in Christ. Pretty neat. And one day, we're going to experience that. You know, one thing I've learned taking care of houses over the years is stuff breaks. Roofs leak, pipes burst, okay? Um, the place that the Lord prepares, none of that stuff's going to be an issue. Trust me. I mean, I'm a homebody, but I'm, I'm looking forward to what he's going to do. Verse 7. So the cry is heard. It's the groom. He's announcing, I'm coming. I'm ready. I'm within striking distance. Let's go. Let's get our stuff together. You know, let's go to the, the, the feast. Um, so, verse 7 the virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. They were trying to get their lamps to work. Um, obviously, it was dark, it was nighttime. And we live in a spiritually dark time as well, as believers. That's why the Lord calls us to shine our light, to shine the light of Christ, to attract the world through our light. Because people are walking... Look, suicide rate among, um, Pastor Vinny will tell you, among high school kids and grade school, people don't feel like their lives are worth anything. And it's sad. I don't criticize. I, I have empathy. When I find that someone took their life... I actually think to myself, I wish I was there to just talk to them for 20 minutes and encourage them. I hate to hear about suicides. I hate to hear about what's going on in our society because it's, it's heartbreaking. People don't think their lives are worth anything. We live in a very dark and decadent world. There's so many voices on the internet, on YouTube, on social media, on, on, on the news, on TV, and, and people are getting bombarded with all these talking points. And they don't know what to believe anymore. That's where that light of God's word has to come in. You know, that that Jesus Christ came from his throne in heaven to die for our sins, to hang on a cross in shame, to bear the sin of the world so that we could have everlasting life. If that's not encouraging, I don't know what is. You know, the Bible says that we love him because he first loved us. He first loved us. And that's the message of salvation, of the gospel. Now, all ten were startled, but five were prepared. Again, this is about salvation preparedness. It's not salvation by works. Why? Because they were all sleeping. It, was, it wasn't like five of them were like, hey, any second, none of them knew. You know, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says that we don't get saved by works. It's by grace, through faith. Right? Not of ourselves. We boast about it, Ephesians says. We brag about it. Look what I did. I got to heaven. It's not a board game. It's not a promotion uh, structure like at our jobs. It's something that we could never merit, pay back, earn, pay for. Christ did it all. That's beautiful. Now trimming the lamps without oil is useless, as trying to be a Christian is useless without a relationship with Christ. Very simple. Verse 8, the foolish said to the wise, give us oil. Our lamps aren't working. Now, there's argument over whether they, whether they were vessels with oil and a wick or they were like those torches that they wrapped cloth around it and the oil was soaked or a wax was soaked and they stayed lit. Honestly, you, you read commentaries and, and you'll get into the weeds with semantics. I really don't care what type of torches or lamps they were. Here's the thing we need to know. Five worked and five didn't. Right? Five were wise, they were prepared, and five weren't. You love, you get a, a room of theologians in the room and they're arguing. You, you missed the point of what Jesus is trying to say. So I, I, start, I started going down that rabbit hole. I'm like, forget it. It's, what's more important is who, you know, who was prepared and who wasn't prepared. So they say, give us some of your oil. And the wise one said, we, we can't. You know, again, you look at the parable, you look at it physically, you take it at face value, they were being selfish, so how could you say they were wise? No. They couldn't give the oil. They had they had not the ability to give oil. Just like today, if somebody is if if I'm saved and somebody's not, well get me into heaven. I can't. God gave you free will. It's your decision whether you get there or not, based on your relationship with Christ. And you can, but I can't. I can't do it. So it's amazing when you start to understand the interpretation, you you don't have these opinions of, of face value. You know, the foolish virgins had lamps. They gave the appearance that they were believers, but it was a facade, it was just a shell. There was no oil in it, no Holy Spirit. We can call ourselves Christians, we can wear a cross, which is fine, We can go to church. We can go to a Calvary chapel. Ooh, that must mean something. really doesn't. (laughs) We can have a painting of Jesus in our living room and a Bible on our coffee table. And again, I don't don't criticize that. But it doesn't make us Christians if we have no relationship with the Lord. The five foolish virgins could represent those in the church or those in a denomination, but not in Christ. The wise refused to to give the oil because they could not. You know? Listen, if I could go around Jamesburg, <laughs> because we're a community church, and just, you know, tap people, uh, another one saved, another. I would do it. <laughs> but God doesn't given me that power. And that would eliminate our free will. God has given us free will. He doesn't, this is the cool thing about God, He woos, He courts, He loves But love has to be reciprocal. It has to be shown back. Many people today, every day, spurn the love of God. I did for years as a young adult. And then one day I just said, why am I running from him? He's been using people and and signs and different things my whole life. And then I became a believer. I gave in. I submitted. I loved him back. Yep. There's going to be no human middleman. The only middleman was Christ. Timothy tells us, and he was fully God and fully man. Nobody else has those qualifications. Now, the virgins, there was an expectation that the virgins would be at the wedding. Second Peter three, nine says, part of the, the second part of the verse, that God desires that none would perish, but that all would come to repentance. And I love doing that. Listen, I have no problem teaching the hard things of the Bible. I have no problem competing with the feel-good preachers on Sunday morning. I have no problem with that. It's not easy, but I do it. But you know what I also love doing? Giving the good news. right? I give you the bad news first, and I give you the good news. That's how I like it. Joe, I got good news and I got bad news. Let's go with the bad news first. Let's leave on a high note. I don't know about you, but that's me. (laughs) So the good news is when you hear about the love of God and his desire for you to be saved and be in his family, you forget about the bad news because you just end on a high note. But at the end, at the end, everyone will see who are the wise and who are the foolish. Right now we can't see, unless someone says, I hate God, I just have no interest. Okay, (laughs) there you go. You want to be sure, trust in Christ. Not your church, not your denomination, not your pastor, not your priest, not your pope. Christ is the only way. Verse 12. The bridegroom will say to the foolish virgins, I don't know you, and close the door. Again, on face value, that sounds mean. These are really the teachings of Jesus? Yes, they are. It's really not mean when you're trying to warn somebody. You know, if your child goes to put his his or her hand on the hot flame and you grab their hand and pull them away. Oh, that was mean! How could you do this, as a parent? Trying to save them from third-degree burns. That's what I'm trying to do. The action looked violent, but you saved the kid's life. And I've seen it. You know, I've seen life-saving all the time and sometimes life-saving is not pretty. But it's (laughs) life-saving, right? So, uh, I just want to turn to Matthew 7, starting with verse 21. Great parallel scripture, very curious scripture, very chilling scripture. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, just words, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, on the judgment day, when we'll see who's really his and who's really not, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Wow, they did things in the name of God. Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. The name of Jesus is powerful. And some people use the name of Jesus and they're not in Jesus. That's, that's a curious, and I covered this when we, we did the Gospel of Matthew. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. I never kn- knew you. The door is closed. Can't open that door can't have a relationship with Christ through other people. I've been telling that to my son since he was little. You can't ride mommy and daddy's coattails into heaven. I believe he has a relationship with the Lord now, but he needed to understand it's not a familial thing. It doesn't come because your spouse is saved, so you're automatically, you know, you, hey, we're one flesh, right? Let's link arms when the rapture comes. You know, <laughs> it's nice try (laughs) and people are very creative but god's not going to be manipulated you know what i'm saying um it is what it is it's not going to be through the church It's not going to be even through your kids if they're saved and you're not it has to be an honest to goodness true relationship with the lord now does it mean that we won't sin no of course not i still sin i still have to repent Don't get freaked out by that, but you know, listen. When you have a relationship with God, is the author of relationships, and sometimes it's almost like now I'm doing a parable, right? You have a marital relationship, you have a BFF, you know, you have all these relationships in your life. Do you hurt each other? Of course. Do you say I'm going to be there and you don't show up? Of course. Do we forgive each other? I hope so. You know, so having a relationship with the Lord, he's always perfect, by the way. He never forgets us or doesn't show up or that kind of thing. But we do, and he forgives us. So understand, relationship, it's a a good, it really should be the primary relationship in our life that all other relationships hinge upon. See what I'm saying? So if Jesus is the author of relationships, why would we just throw at him some memorized prayers or some, you know, Wrote ritual, that's cheap. God wants our heart. He wants our heart. He wants our love. Jesus was talking to his purported followers. And it was great because he was... Listen, Judas was in there, by the way. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to other followers. Um, Was it in Luke? He had like 70 that went door to door. He had a lot of followers. It wasn't just the 12. He's talking to his followers. Again, Judas was a follower. But where did Judas end up? Judas, check your heart. Are you a wise virgin or are you a foolish virgin? And this would be espoused in every church. Are we in the wise camp or are we in the foolish camp? And we know, we really know if we search our hearts, do I have a relationship with Jesus or do I not have a relationship with Jesus? So some were genuine that followed him, others were not. Some followed him to get inside information, Others followed him to get a free meal. Others followed him just to get a healing. There was all kinds of reasons why people followed Jesus, but he wanted to make sure that in their hearts, that they were genuine. Not really for him, but for them. For them. 2,000 years later, it's the same application. This is why God's word should be taught in every church. This parable is all about spiritual preparedness. My question to you are you prepared if the Lord comes in the next five minutes? Think about that. Am I prepared? Maybe not. Or yeah, yeah, you know, I'm not perfect, but I, I love the Lord and I do have a relationship with Him. Pastor Vinny taught on, I think it was Wednesday, that every second in the world, close to eight billion people on the planet, six people step into eternity. That's an average. Some seconds it's more, some, some it's less. That's chilling. Through my eyes, I want to see everybody get saved. Now, understand this. Let me make sure I make this clear. Preparedness doesn't mean standing in a field with our hands in the air after selling all of our possessions because some knucklehead said tomorrow morning Jesus is going to come back. That's weird. And honestly, to take the humor out of it, I feel sorry for people like that because it's happened over the past 2,000 years many times. And, and some tend to get mad at God instead of realizing they were duped by a false teacher what does it mean? it means you live your life on the earth you plan but God is at the center if the Lord wills if the Lord doesn't will in retirement my wife and I are going through a lot of changes we're, we're doing different things we're um, you know, re- restructuring our five year plan but heck we're praying last night. If the Lord comes tomorrow, so be it. We make our plans. We give him first place in our life. Right? That's when you have a relationship with somebody who's, who's so awesome and who's so loving and who puts in so much more than we put in. You want to put them first. And that's the Lord. Don't be the person who thinks they're fine and the door's shut on you. Because if I could illustrate it, that'd be pretty scary. Door shut. Let me in, somebody. Boom, 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 boom. When the door shut, the door shut. No appeals, like in our court system, no endless appeals. That's it. You're his or you're not. And when I read stuff like that, to me it's chilling. To me it's chilling because I have a lot of people that I know, that I love, that I want to see saved. I want to see them saved. That's my motivation. You know, as a young man in my 20s, I would hear stuff like this. You know, it's funny. I was talking about Rutgers. I went to Rutgers for four years in New Brunswick. A lot of nightlife, a lot of things I was doing, shouldn't have been doing. I wasn't a Christian. Little Bible study of about seven Christians. New Brunswick, at nighttime, in the weekend, so much to do. Little Bible study, seven or eight believers. And I would, like Nicodemus at night in John chapter 3, I would sneak over there, not tell my party friends. And I would go to their Bible studies, and I would hear stuff like this. And there was part of me that really wanted it, but there was also another part of me that was overpowering my flesh. And you know what? God allowed me, how long has it been since I've been to college? Oh my goodness, (laughs) getting old. My wife and I were in Pennsylvania, and... uh, I saw one of, my, one of the guys who was in that little Bible study. And I said, Heather, 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 that guy over there, i got to go talk to him. And, I, and I, I went up to him and I'm like, I got saved. I'm a pastor. And he looked at me like, really? <laughs> no, really, I'm not kidding. Nobody put me up to this. But it's, so, it's so cool how God is because it's that they put, poured into me and they probably thought he's a hopeless, he's a lost cause. We know what he's doing on the weekends. Don't ever write anybody off. I'm in the pulpit. This is insane. Who would it, right? James. <laughs> Twenty-six years ago, who would Nobody would believe it. They still don't believe it. At the end of the day, are we like the five wise virgins that were prepared? That were filled with the Holy Spirit. We're not perfect. They weren't perfect. The Lord comes. Come in. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Or are we like the five foolish? The good news is, it's a choice, and you still have time. Let's pray.
0: You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey.